I'm Andrew O'Hagan, host of a new podcast from the London Review of Books. It's about the bloodiest and most controversial event of the Falklands War, the sinking of the General Belgrano. Margaret Thatcher was accused of a war crime. The truth would only emerge in the pages of a private diary. This is the Belgrano Diary. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop. As a translator, you don't always know what's going to come for your letterbox in the next jiffy bag. And when Alain's book came through my uh, letterbox in, I think, 2006, um, I have to confess I'd, I'd never actually read any of his work before. Um, probably my fault rather than his. And when you come across a new book that you have to translate, um, the first thing you think about is how, once you've read it, is how you can possibly hope to put yourself inside the skin of the person who's written it. And um, when I looked at Alan and when I looked at me, it seemed to be quite a, um, a daunting prospect. <laughs> um, and I'd like to start off by reading a passage from Broken Glass, which is the book that I first translated by him, in which um, a young man from the Congo who's with a white woman, French woman, and is engaged to be married to her, goes to visit her, his future parents-in-law. And I think the passage gives you a very good sense of what it's like to be possibly someone a bit like Alain, trying <coughs> to explain where he's coming from. The, the girl is called Céline. Céline quickly talked her parents around. They're not racist. They always voted communist in municipal and regional elections or for the Greens and the presidential. So we went to visit them in some little place in the Vendée called Noirmoutier, an island with a bridge connecting it to the mainland. And Céline's parents said, I was a fine young man, distinguished, intelligent, refined, ambitious, respectful of Republican values. And I was pleased to hear this description of my noble qualities. They admired the way I was dressed, which isn't surprising, because I was actually wearing a made-to-measure Francesco Smalto suit. And they said how they loved deepest Africa, the real Africa, mysterious Africa, the bush, the red earth, the wild animals skipping about in the wide open spaces, adding that only fools thought that black Africa was heading for disaster, or that Africa was anti-development, and they apologized personally for the mistakes of the past, in particular the slave trade, colonization, <laughs> problems with independence, and all the other shit some black fundamentalists have made their thing. I didn't want to get into those worn-out arguments. I made it clear to them, stuff to do with the past was not my thing. I was a man with my eyes fixed firmly on the horizon, and that horizon was not a flame. I said, 
I was looking to the future, and then I began talking to them about the Congo, and they asked which Congo I was from originally, and the father asked if it was the Belgian Congo, and the mother asked if it was the French Congo, and I said, the Belgian Congo no longer existed, and I said, the French Congo no, no longer existed either, and I explained that I was from the Republic of the Congo, i.e. the smaller of the two Congos, and the father exclaimed, of course, he's from the little Congo, <laughs> our beautiful, illustrious former colony. General de Gaulle even declared Brazzaville the cap capital of free France during the occupation. Ah, the Congo, land of dreams and freedom. It's the country where they speak the purest French, you know, better even than in France, let me tell you. And Celine's mother, who <laughs> was a bit embarrassed, told her husband he shouldn't be using the word colony in reference to my country. Now then, Joseph, she said, it doesn't do to say colony, you know that. And the father said it was a mistake, and what he meant was territory. And the mother said that colony and territory were completely interchangeable. And Celine flew into a rage and said, we haven't come to talk about interchanges or geography or history. And old Father Joseph said, good, well, let's drink to that with a decent bottle of claret, shall we? Mm -hmm. And he opened the claret and we drank. <laughs> 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 um, so I don't know um, if you're familiar with the, the plot of... Broken Glass. Broken Glass is the name of the principal character yeah. in this novel. There's a picture of him. And uh, the conceit of the book is that Broken Glass, who's a, a disgraced school teacher and an alcoholic and has been abandoned by his long-suffering wife, um, spends most of his days and nights <coughs> in, a, in a bar called Le Crédit à Voyager. I don't know where that title came from. We chose to translate it as Credit Gone West, which is slightly more meaning than is actually in the French. Um, where did you, I think you came across the, the title actually in a real bar. It's a mix of uh, two Céline's book in French, uh, Voyage au bout de la nuit and uh, More à crédit. So I tried to put Le Crédit à Voyager so that it was a kind of homage I wanted uh, to express in that book because I read a lot of books from Céline's and uh, uh, I like uh, the way he tried to write in French with his kind of broken French and uh, uh, since it's not that usual to find uh, French writers who are dealing with uh, the language, trying to put it uh, in a kind of vulgar way. Mm -hmm. yeah, so uh, Credit Gone West or Le Crédit à Voyager, it's a kind of clin d'oeil to um, my readings of Céline. Yeah, I bet there are hundreds of similar clin d'oeil throughout the text. Um, broken Glass, the, the narrator, or rather the scribe, because he writes down stories, is sitting in this bar, and as he sits, all these characters come in, and seeing that he's been given a notebook by the man who owns the bar, his name is the Stubborn Snail, mm -hmm. and um, he is Broken Glass's friend, and he gives the Stubborn Snail uh, this notebook and says, I want you to write down the stories of all the people who come into this bar. And many of the people who come into the bar are wretched people with terrible stories but um, as they tell the stories to broken glass he writes them down um, and they they become very funny um maybe alan would you write do you who wants to um, i don't know does anybody here should we read a bit in french or? Yeah. 
Oh, and you know, I've learned to read the opening in the French, and, um, <coughs> and then if anybody wants, we can do it in English after. Disons que le patron du bar, le crédit à voyager, m'a remis un cahier que je dois remplir. Et il croit dur comme faire que moi, vers cassé, je peux pondre un livre parce que, en plaisantant, je lui avais raconté un jour l'histoire d'un écrivain célèbre qui buvait comme une éponge, un écrivain qu'on allait même ramasser dans la rue quand il était ivre. Faut donc pas plaisanter avec le patron parce qu'il prend tout au premier degré. Et lorsqu'il m'avait remis ce cahier, il avait tout de suite précisé que c'était pour lui, pour lui tout seul, que personne d'autre ne le lirait. Et alors, j'ai voulu savoir pourquoi il tenait tant à ses cahiers. Il a répondu qu'il ne voulait pas que le crédit à voyager disparaisse un jour comme ça. Il ajoutait que les gens de ce pays n'avaient pas le sens de la conservation de la mémoire que l'époque des histoires que racontait la grammaire grabataire était finie, que l'heure était désormais à l'écrit, parce que c'est ce qui reste. La parole, c'est de la fumée noire, du pipi de chat sauvage. Le patron du crédit à voyager n'aime pas les formules toutes faites du genre « En Afrique, quand un vieillard meurt, c'est une bibliothèque qui brûle ». Et lorsqu'il entend ce cliché bien développé, il est plus que vexé et lance aussitôt « ça dépend de quel vieillard, arrêtez donc vos conneries, je n'ai confiance qu'en ce qui est écrit ». Ainsi, c'est un peu pour lui faire plaisir que je griffonne de temps à autre, sans vraiment être sûr de ce que je raconte ici. Je ne cache pas que je commence à y prendre goût depuis un certain temps. Toutefois, je me garde de le lui avouer, sinon... Il s'imaginerait des choses et me pousserait encore plus à l'ouvrage. Or, je, ne, je veux garder ma liberté d'écrire quand je veux, quand je peux. Il n'y a rien de pire que le travail forcé. Je ne suis pas son nègre. J'écris aussi pour moi-même. C'est pour cette raison que je n'aimerais pas être à sa place au moment où il parcourra ses pages dans lesquelles je ne tiens à ménager personne. Mais... Quand il lira tout ça, je ne serai plus un client de son bar. J'irai traîner mon corps squelettique ailleurs. Je lui aurai remis les, le document à la dérobée en lui disant « Mission terminée between the parole, mm -hmm. the spoken word of the characters who come into the bar, and the ambition of Vercassé to mm. write. And Ver uh, Broken Glass, the, the, the main character, is somebody who has an immense culture in a way. He's read an enormous amount of books, mm -hmm. and, uh, but in a way has had no ability to do anything with them. And throughout the time, I don't know if you noticed, but there are no full stops in the entire book. Here we go. And no full stops, only commas mm -hmm. and blanks for brief silences. And uh, throughout the text, I think I counted there were 200, between 200 and 300 titles of both French classics um, mm -hmm. and <coughs> African novels. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that as the translator, I was usually, when I came across the title of a French classic, I was usually fairly sure what it was. Mm -hmm. But because they're not signposted at all, oh, I, I quickly discovered that there, there are a huge number of African novels mm. which are listed or which are sewn into the text, which I was not familiar with. 
So in a way, reading Broken Glass is an excellent way of building up a list of things you ought to read. Um, <laughs> but uh, in a way, because I know it was, it, was a, it was actually a technique that was used by another mm -hmm. writer in Devoir de Violence. Mm -hmm. I think he also... Um, what's the name? Yambo yeah, Wologa. Um, he used the te same technique in one mm. of his novels, A Duty to Violence, and was mm. much criticised for not having pointed out to people that this mm. is what he was doing, as though somehow these borrowings were not entirely legitimate. Mm. And somebody else suggested that he might italicise them, but I think you would have lost rather a lot if you'd done that. In the way, they're that meant to be there, like, like creases in a sheet, they're, they're things that slightly trip you up. But mm. you know, I, I wanted in this book to show my own... Um, what can I say, library, you know, uh, the must-read books uh, in my uh, childhood and when I was growing because I, I went to law school. I was supposed to be a lawyer to satisfy my mother. So every day she would say, you need to be a lawyer so that I'm not going to have trouble in my life. Uh, there's a lot of problems in, Cong in the Congo, so if you are a lawyer, or at least a judge, that's going to be fine for me. <laughs> so uh, that's the way I went to law school, huh? but I wasn't satisfied. I didn't want to be a lawyer wearing a kind of robe or something, uh, being like talking about... Uh, rules uh, and dealing with people who have, uh, I don't know, lost their uh, dogs or cats, uh, and I don't know, whatever. So I wanted to be just uh, a kind of kid who is dreaming another life. So I went to, to law school at that time, but I was reading uh, during that time also books. So when I moved, uh, moved to France, I was still writing poetry and so on and so on, and I discovered a lot of books, a lot of novels, mainly uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, Mario Vargallosa, and um, uh, Russian writers such as uh, Dostoevsky, Pasternak, uh, Gogol, and so on and so on. And um, when I was living in the United States of America in Michigan, you know, the winter is very tough over there, like uh, you need to stay home. You, you, you don't need to go outside because it's very cold. That the time I, w I began to write uh, Broken Glass. So I was surrounded by all my books. I was uh, looking in my library, at my library and saying, maybe the book, when I'm sleeping, all my books are talking uh, something against me. So I need to do something in order to respond uh, at that time. So how can I deal with like 250 books I like in my life? So I said that, okay, I'm going to have all the titles of the book and making them like a, a kind of mixed. That's why when you, if you read uh, Broken Glass, by reading, you're going to say, oh, I know this novel, oh, I know this novel, but I didn't want to put a kind of uh, a glossaire, like we say um, in the end of the book, uh, pointing to people, oh, here is the heart of darkness from Conrad, and so on and so on. There's a lot of African books in it, but a lot of European books, a lot of uh, uh, American books, uh, um, 
like Hemingway, uh, Steinbeck, John Steinbeck, Les Raisins de la Colère, I don't know the title in, in English. Yes, yes, or um, of, of Mice and... Yes, okay, so that's the book I, I was reading <coughs> at that time. So the challenge were, was that how can I write about all that book without like uh, uh, disturbing the readers. So I invented this kind of uh, narrator we used to drink day in and day out, uh, sitting in the bar and uh, contemplating every people of there. So uh, he's a teacher, so as a master of fact, he likes reading. So I didn't want to put a lot of punctuation so that's why uh, the only punctuation was like a virgule comma, the comma over there, no stop, full stop or nothing, because if you are drinking, you're not going to uh, stop uh, talking. So it's like uh, someone who is still talking and talking and talking. I got uh, the feeling also that he had, that it was one of those cases where as long as you keep talking, nothing too terrible will happen. And yes. in fact, the story of, of Broken Glass himself is included mm -hmm. within the novel, and it's not a very, it's a very mm -hmm. sad story. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, um, the second half of the novel is largely devoted to his telling his own story. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the dominant features in his own story is the death of his mother. Mm -hmm. um, I know that when you were living in Paris and had left Congo four or five years later, your mother mm -hmm. died without mm -hmm. your having seen her since mm -hmm. you left. Mm -hmm. And that, that was a, a mm -hmm. very... I think all your novels are dedicated to your mother. Yes, um, I think in this case we can say that uh, as a novelist, even if you are writing your novel you're going to put your own life in order to create something which, which is realistic. So the second part, it's a kind of my own biography I'm trying to do. But it's Vercasse, he's talking about his mother and he wants to uh, uh, I don't know, find where, where is uh, his mother. And... Uh, I think that it, uh, the saddest part, saddest part of uh, the book, when Vercasse is trying to, uh, like, uh, tell people about his own life, because he, he was supposed to write the the lives of the other, like we say, but uh, finally he discovered himself himself writing about his own life and. Um, uh, maybe all my books are written uh, to my mother because uh, <clears throat> he um, he wasn't able to read French. Mm -hmm. She was like uh, we say in French, an alphabet. She, she couldn't read, so she she didn't know even what a writer is. The first time I wrote. Uh, book of poetry and I gave it to her. She was trying to pass the pages and say, but there's no image in your book. Eh? Because uh, he says, do you think that uh, that's what you want to do in your life? All right, so yes. In, in the preface to your collection of poetry, mm -hmm. um, you write to your mother mm -hmm. and, and you address her as the person who made me a poet, mm -hmm. um, which, which is very touching. 
But to, to go back to Vercassé, um, I was very intrigued because all these characters come into the bar and, and to some extent their archetypes as a man who, qui a fait la France, mm -hmm. the man in, in question in the first passage I read. And there are other people whose lives have come unstuck, usually through sex or, or drink mm -hmm. or, or related activities. And uh, when the, the final character who comes into the bar is, is strangely familiar, he's, I think he's the, the only white character mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. the novel. And I'll describe him to you and see whether you recognize him. He, he wears a red baseball cap. Mm -hmm. And he's American, and he's in his 30s, and he's carrying a copy of a novel of which only the last three words of the title are visible, which are in the rye. <laughs> and, uh, and that was a cutter. <laughs> so we quickly realize uh, that this is Holden Caulfield, and we're not quite sure what he's doing in this bar, but he's trying to catch, as in fact all the other characters are trying to catch Broken Glass's eye so that, so that he'll put them um, in, in his book, because it seems to me that all of their ambition really is to get in a book, and so to leave the domain of the spoken word and to get written down. And Holden Caulfield is um, recognizable because he keeps spouting a particular section from Catcher in the Rye about when he's in a taxi and he asks the um, taxi driver what happens to the little ducks on the lake in Central Park in the winter. And it seems to be the most sort of um, it's a fairly unimportant question, but it's one on which he harps all the time. It becomes his sort of trademark question. I, I wanted to ask you why you put Holden Caulfield in the novel um, and what his significance there was to you. I, th I think it was my, <coughs> my own uh, itinerary. Uh, living in, I was born in Africa and I went to France and I'm living in United States of America. It was like... Uh, the end for the time being of my uh, voyage. Since I'm living in the United States of America, I thought that it uh, would be great to end the novel with a kind of opening to the United States of America, maybe in the hope of writing one day a kind of African novel in the United States of America. So I tried to put uh, uh, Caulfield in that uh, in my novel. Uh, he came over there like someone uh, uh, we didn't expect to come over there and asking such a question to broken glass. But the narrator was already tired. He said that I don't want to go jump into that question. My novel is over, so I don't want to hear anything about the United States of America. And uh, he was like angry against the United States of America. But, so that was uh, uh, my part to be a little bit uh, like exhausted about the fact that uh, uh, usually everybody in France asks me to write about America, but I can for the time being. I need to regret a territory before writing about that. So I don't feel that I'm ready to write about that. Maybe Broken Glass was in the same situation. So uh, meeting this kind of uh, character in Africa, who is talking about uh, ducks, uh, winter, Central Park. He said, oh, you're not going to impress me with the United <laughs> States of America. So uh, I've already traveled in my life, that's what he said. <clears throat> I used to travel through the books, so he was everywhere. So he won't be like uh, amazed 
just because you are talking about the United States. Well, it wasn't in fact the first time you'd had a reference to a, an American novel in your work because African Psycho actually came out shortly after mm -hmm. you moved to America. Yes. And uh, presumably shortly after you'd read American mm -hmm. Psycho. Mm -hmm. Actually, uh, African Psycho was released uh, before uh, Broken Glass. And uh, I was already experimenting the, a kind of narration in which uh, the word uh, would be very important. Uh, in African Psycho, the main character called Grégoire Nakobo-Mayo, when he is uh, uh, hungry, he's like talking a lot for like 10 pages, just coma, 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 and coma. So I think that uh, uh, if I wrote broken, broken Glass, it's thanks to African Psycho which was a kind of my first uh, influence to the United States of America, the serial killer, but I wanted to depict a kind of bad serial killer. He wants to kill, but he's not succeeding, so he's, <laughs> it's a kind of frustration. I was like astonished to see that when I'm reading like Bretton Ellis, American Psycho, the crime is very perfect, you know, well-dressed, uh, voila, Umberto something, Giorgio Armani, and in the day he's working and when the night comes, he's killing people perfectly. So I wanted to put a serial killer who is not succeeding, he want to kill, but he's not that, and so on and so on, yeah. Before I ask you, because the, the book I've just finished translating, Memoirs of a Porcupine, is also about serial killings, and before I ask you why, you really write so much about serial killing. Mm -hmm. I wanted to... Um, Don't be afraid, I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to read another short passage from Broken Glass about language and what you're trying to do mm -hmm. when you write. This is when um, a stubborn snail, snail, the owner of the bar, is again insisting that Broken Glass become a writer because he thinks he has a gift for it. Um, I'm just seeing how much I can dare read because it's, it's so good that I want to read lots of it. But um, I said to the stubborn snail that if I was a writer, I would ask God to grant me the gift of humility, to give me the strength to put my own writing into perspective alongside the giants of this world who put pen to paper. And I would say three cheers for true genius and would keep silent rather than speak of the mediocrity all around us. And that would be the only way you could hope to write anything remotely like real life. But I'd say it in my own words, twisted words, incoherent words, nonsensical words. I'd write down words as they came to me. I'd begin awkwardly. I'd finish as awkwardly as I'd begun. And to hell with pure reason and method and phonetics and prose. And in this shit-poor language of mine, things would seem clear in my head, but come out wrong. And the worst to say it wouldn't come easy, so it would be a choice between writing or life. That's right. And what I really want people to say when they read me is, what is this jumble, this mess, this muddle, this mishmash of barbarities, this empire of science, this chit-chat, this descent to the dregs of belles-lettres? What is with this barnyard prattle? Is this stuff for real? Where does it start? Where the hell does it end? And my mischievous answer would be, this jumble of words is life. Come on, come into my lair, check out the rotting garbage. Here's my take on life, your fictions. 
no more than the output of a load of old has-beens designed to comfort other old has-beens. And until the day your characters start to see how the rest of us earn our nightly crust, there'll be no such thing as literature, only intellectual masturbation with you all rubbing up against each other like donkeys. And to sum up, I said to the stubborn snail that sadly I wasn't a writer, I couldn't be a writer. All I ever did was watch the world and talk to my bottles and my tree, the one I like to piss under, to whom I'd made a promise to come back in vegetal form and live a new life alongside it. And because of that, I would rather leave the job of writing to the intellectually gifted, the writers I so loved to read in the days when I still read in order to learn. I would leave writing, I said, to those who sing of the joy of life, who struggle, who dream without ceasing of the extension of the domain of the struggle, who invent fancy ways of dancing the polka, who can astonish the gods, who wallow in disgrace, those who walk steadfastly towards manhood, those who create a practical dream, those who sing of the land without shadows, those who live in transit in one corner of the earth, those who see the world through an attic window, like those, those who, like my late father, listen to jazz, drink palm wine, those who can describe an African summer, who tell tales of barbarous weddings, who retreat to the summit of the magic rock of, rock of Tanyas and spend their time in meditation. I told him I'd read writing to those who remind us that too much sun kills love, those who prophesy the sobbing of the white man, phantom Africa, the innocence of the black child. I told him I'd leave writing to those who can construct a town inhabited by dogs or a house on the edge of tears to shelter the humble and the homeless, those who sense the compassion of stones. Yes, I told him I'd leave writing to them and rule out the nutters and the live wires and the weekend poets with their threepenny verses and the guys who think a black man couldn't speak of bir birch trees of stone of dust, of winter, of snow, of a rose, or simply of beauty for beauty's sake, and rule out the integrationalist imitators that pop up like mushrooms. How many are their number who congest the highway of letters, sully the purity of the universe, and pollute the true literature of our time? A lot has been said, Alan, about um, the difficulty of, of being an African writer, whether writing in a European language. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I think Kurtze said that the Russians write for the Russians and the French write for the French, mm. but the Africans write for the Europeans. Is that your experience? Well, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. You know, I quoted uh, Kurtze here, Disgrace, mm. you, when you were reading, I saw a lot of titles over there, Disgrace, uh, and um, the other one. I don't think that... Uh, African write for Europeans only. I think that uh, we are translated into um, in Israel, in uh, uh, South Africa sometimes, and so on and so on. I think that when I'm writing, I never think, I never think who is going to read my work, and. Uh, I think that I used to write sometimes against Europe civilization, even if uh, I'm using that civilization to write my own novel. It's uh, to express that uh, European people don't have uh, what we call the monopole of the civilization. So um, at uh, that time, uh, if, like Dostoevsky wrote for Russian, 
I wouldn't understand like uh, what he's writing about or Pushkin writing his poem just for Russian people. I wouldn't understand. When I'm reading a novel, uh, I used to feel like I'm living in that country. If I'm reading 100 years of solitude from Marquez, I feel like I'm in Macondo, that village in which uh, you're gonna see Aurelia Buendia, the main character with his descendant and so on and so on, roaming about, going to the bush, uh, being magical and so on and so on. So literature is uh, the field of the dreams. So it's uh, the only chance we have to a dream another kind of uh, uh, the world so even if i'm writing about the congo i'm sure that uh, when someone from japan is reading or from china is reading my book he's he gonna feel that he's in the congo so um, the main or the the most important thing is in literature is to um, create from the local something which is going to be open to the world. Mm -hmm. And then I think that uh, we used to write from uh, to someone who's going to understand or feel the same thing we were feeling at the time we were writing the books. So I never divide the readers. I never think uh, once that uh, I'm writing for European people or something like that. And uh, I used to meet a lot of Congolese people saying that, yes, uh, when I was reading your book, uh, I felt at home. It was like my book. At the same time, if I go to uh, France, the deep France, someone going to say that it's like here. Huh? People drinking in the bar and talking about life of the other. It's, uh, I went to po Poland, it was the, the, the same thing. They were talking uh, about... Uh, the novel or even in North Korea. I know that they are losing in the World Cup, but uh, it's okay. They, f they feel like it's their book. So, so you don't feel that you're specifically um, describing, particularly in, in broken glass, African problems, which the rest of the world needs to know about, but rather that you're describing universal problems, which... which yes, we, we are in a small world. Uh, even if something is happening in the Congo, which is a small country, uh, I think that uh, it's also a problem for the other nations. So uh, I don't think at all that uh, a writer should write only for, is committed to write for, for his own country. Uh, you have to open the doors, you have to express your own culture to the world, to say to the world that uh, we will reach the universality uh, if we include the kind of local literature that gives us an enormous situation of culture. So um, you have just to think that living in the Congo when I was like uh, uh, 17 or 18, when I was reading uh, Marcel Proust writing about bourgeoisie. I don't know what is bourgeoisie. I don't know what is uh, Monsieur Swan, nice uh, dress. But I was thinking it, it was in the, 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 the bush in our situation. 
Proust was close to me. And when I got to France, I was like disappointed. I say, I don't see bourgeois in the streets. <laughs> eh? But they are in the books. That's the magical situation. And you're going to find someone who never go to Africa, but he's feeling that it's close. It's written in France, but we are not sure that it's the France from the Académie Française. Mm -hmm. The, it's French, but the rhythm is not French. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of song behind that. And if you close your eyes, you're going to feel like uh, uh, the drums from my own country. I'm speaking or writing in French, but if you see beneath, you're going to find something else. Like uh, I'm refusing a, a kind of uh, way of writing in the classical way. I don't want to be like uh, the, a slave for the Académie Française or something like that. I want to express my French with a kind of uh, phrase which is broken and so on and so on. Yeah. Is that this particular challenge to a translator mm -hmm. to be able to render the, mm. the, the rhythm and the intonation mm -hmm. and the song in, in the in the French original. And do you, do you ever find that you come into, under criticism in Africa for your passionate commitment to French culture? And At the first time, uh, I received a letter from an African reader. He told me, yes, I read Broken Glass. I'm very shocked because you quoted only European literatures. So when I'm in Europe, people say, you quoted only uh, African literature. But in fact, it's like half, half. You have like uh, 40 or 50 African writers, Asian, including like, they don't see like uh, a writer like uh, Kenzabiro Owe, who won the Nobel Prize, who is from Japan. They just see like uh, Mishima. So it depends of people. If you are not like uh, accustomed to read uh, Asian literature, you won't find Kenzabiro Owe passing by there, or Mishima, or uh, I don't know, um, or Arabic writers. So. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I was laughing because I told to the guy, you, broken glass is a kind of book. Each time you are reading, you're going to discover another thing. So it's like, oh, I passed this phrase, but it's maybe Mario Vargallosa, it's maybe Horacio Quiroga, or something you say, oh, it's Marcel Proust, or, or it's Sonny Laboutancy from Congo, or Ferdinand Oyono, or Aimé Césaire from Martinique, or Hemingway, um, and so it's a large panel on it. So um, I think that uh, that was just a letter, but in fact, African people think that it's only about Africa, and European people think that it's about European literature, and that's fine because uh, they can struggle together, and I can be the referee. <laughs> and yeah, Alain is now a professor of uh, Francophone literature at the University of uh, California in Los Angeles. Uh, francophone literature has recently been redefined, I think, as uh, littérature du monde en mm. français, mm -hmm. um, partly because I think of some maybe negative associations with the term francophonia. Yes, just because um, in France they used to call us francophone writers, but they never called like Michel Houellebecq or Marie Dariusuk francophone writers. So that's uh, curious. Francophone writers uh, should mean uh, someone who is writing in French. But they use the term francophone writer to qualify uh, people who are writing in French but who are not French. So it's a kind of discrimination. So we didn't want this uh, discrimination. That's why we tried to explain to France that nowadays, if French literature is strong, it's just because the writers are not only from France. Uh, you see Amadou Kuruma from Ivory Coast, uh, uh, Edouard Glissant or Césaire from Martinique, uh, uh, Fatou Diom from Senegal, Amil Malou from Liban, Tar Ben Jeloun from Morocco, and so on and so on. It's a large panel. And even on translation, uh, I think that 80% of translation from French into the other language came from uh, writers who are not French. Mm -hmm. So, as a matter of fact, we have to uh, re uh, redefine, uh, uh, give another explanation of uh, uh, French literature. So, so that French we, literature is a part of Francophonia rather than Francophonia? I think that French literature is a part of Francophone literature mm -hmm. and not the contrary. They think that Francophone literature is a part of French literature. That's not the case. Have you told Mr. Sarkozy that? I, I tell you, I, I wrote something in uh, a book called uh, Literature Monde en Français. And uh, sometimes, if you are in the United States of America, they used to 
introduced me like uh, a French writer that the first time, huh, you know, I mean, you're not. So we're going to receive the French writer. So I was astonished. I looked at my mind. I was thinking that uh, maybe uh, uh, Philippe Claudel was behind me. Not, uh, it was me. So uh, that was the case. And um, uh, But things are changing every time, uh, day in and day out, because uh, um, years because it wasn't uh, acceptable in France to see like uh, an African to win like uh, Goncourt or Renaudot. So as long as you won a prize which is considered like the main prize in France, they're gonna forget that you are a Francophone writer. Although yes. I think in, two, was it 2006 or seven? Um, there must, it must be rather difficult to ignore because I think you won a prize and mm -hmm. Nancy Houston won a prize mm -hmm. and Jonathan Little, all of you writing in French but none of you born in France. Yes, and mm, in 2006 I was introduced like a French writer. French writer born in the Congo, so it was like, uh, uh, as I said, yes, he's uh, French and when I went uh, uh, in the Congo, my country, invited by the minister over there to present the runner, they said that, yes, I'm very disappointed. So you are now a French writer. We need you to be a Congolese writer. So I didn't know. Now I used to say Franco-Congolais. So, so that... Uh, uh, well, I noticed that um, in the uh, a page which I read about the course that you run at UCLA, mm -hmm. you say the only question I ask when I look at a text is, is this text in French? Mm -hmm. If it is, then it is something which your students will pay attention to, whatever yes. the source of, uh, yes, of the yes. origin of the writing. Yes. I wanted to ask you about that, the book that you, you won, the Prix Renaudot, mm -hmm. um, which is called Memoirs of a Porcupine, which I've just finished translating. Thank which you. Will be published, <laughs> uh, which will be published next year. Mm -hmm. Yes, next year. Thank um, you in which the narrator is rather different from the narrators uh, in, in Broken Glass, not least uh, by the fact that he's an animal, he's mm. a porcupine. Mm. Serial killer. He's a serial killer as well. Animal. <laughs> <laughs> and could you just explain to us briefly what the, the idea behind that book is and where it came so, from? It was a fable. My mother used to tell me this kind of fable in order to frighten me, you know. At seven, if I'm not in the bed, you know, I'm going to tell you the story of the porcupine. And then I was like, oh, uh. So it was a kind of porcupine who was killing people every time. But the, that animal was linked with a man called Kibandi, because in our beliefs, uh, when you, 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 you are born, you came with your double, which is animal. So you're gonna live together with your animal. For instance, uh, if I have a porcupine, the day I'm gonna die, the porcupine gonna die the same day. But in the novel, that guy called Kibandi has a double, which is a porcupine. The day the guy died, the porcupine was waiting for the moment to die. So the animal realized that he's not dying. So he said that, oh, I'm going to write quickly my memoirs to explain to the world what kind of relation we had together. And then it was to explain the 99 people they killed. 
before killing the the hundred or hundred and one because uh, it was uh, twins at that time. So he tried to explain everything, how uh, he came to the world, how he was working with his guide, when he discovered love, because it was a kind of porcupine. He needed to uh, go away from his own group of animals to live just behind the, the, the house of Kibandi. And then they were living with such a kind of uh, life and he explained how he did kill 99 people on behalf of uh, his master who was Kibandi. So he's trying to explain to the people, is it the animal or the human being who is like uh, responsible of the killings? So it's a kind of philosophical problem. It's. Uh, for me, the real homage I gave to my mother to say that, oh, you were frightening me, but I'm going to write a novel about that. Since you are not alive, I'm going to try to put a lot of liars in it. So it's like uh, this kind of animal is uh, aware of everything. He can understand philosophy. He read a lot of books, mainly uh, uh, Luis Sepulveda's. I read Horacio Quiroga. Uh, Alan Edgar Poe, which is from here, you know, he read that, uh, I read it in French, Histoire Extraordinaire, you know, you saw that murder or something. So the, that animal used to read Poe huh, and feel that, uh, uh, how it works with a human being and so, uh, and, and so on. Uh, so I kept this kind of connection with books even if I'm talking about uh, a deep Africa with beliefs, uh, with a kind of mockery. Because it's a very different Af Africa you described, mm -hmm. the Africa in, in broken glass. It's, it's rural, and it, in a way it corresponds to what we might have as preconceptions about what should constitute an African story. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it is a spoken story because the porcupine, when he finds that he's survived his master, he goes and sits under the tree, mm -hmm. the baobab tree, and he tells the tree the stories of his life. Um, and you sense that he has a great feeling of guilt about what he's done in a way, but, but that he has no sense of... He does have a sense of the gravity of what they've done of killing these 99 people. Mm -hmm. But in a way, his, his spoken account of it is in some way his justification and his excuse. Yes, he's trying to uh, explain to people that I'm not guilty. It's because of Kibandi. Mm -hmm. so, so he needs to explain how it works, how is the connection between a man or a human being and an animal. There's a kind of mystery I try to explain in the book. And uh, at the same time, I met a lot of African people who said that, yes, that's how it works. Mm -hmm. And they were thinking that I will be, belong to a kind of secret uh, group uh, who is like, uh, considered like sorcier in our country. So it was strange to explain this kind of mystery to people. But um, I used to meet uh, African people who think that uh, it was my comeback to the deep Africa because broken glass was urban huh? in the city, in the real uh, and uh, current Africa, drinking, street, and so. And broken glass is uh, African philosophy, the way we explain the world, the way we explain how the world uh, was created and 
how we need as African to consider the world for the future. And in fact, all your novels have in common the fact that they all contain their own Genesis story. They all, ex they all contain an explanation of how this text came into being. Mm -hmm. And at the end of um, Memoirs of a Porcupine, uh, we get a letter mm. written by the stubborn snail, who is the man who owned the bar in, in Broken Glass, who um, says that he, di he didn't realize at the time, but in fact, a second notebook has turned up. Mm. And this is actually the second novel by Broken Glass, which mm. was written shortly before his, his death. Yeah. I don't know if you'd like me to read or whether you'd like to read the opening to Memoirs of a Porcupine in English. Okay. Would you like? Yes. I've got the right one, haven't I? Okay. There it is. In English or in French? In French, I think my, my reading is bad, so... So we, if you want to read a little bit in French, and then maybe I can read the same thing in English. Okay, just the opening. Yeah. Okay. Donc, je ne suis qu'un animal. Un animal de rien du tout. Les hommes diraient une bête sauvage comme si on ne comptait pas de plus bêtes et de plus sauvages que nous dans leur espèce. Pour eux, je ne suis qu'un porc épic, et puisqu'il ne se fie qu'à ce qu'il voit, il déduirait que je n'ai rien de particulier, que j'appartiens au rang des mammifères munis de longs piquants. Ils ajouteraient que je suis incapable de courir aussi vite qu'un chien de chasse, que la paresse m'astreint à ne pas vivre loin de l'endroit où je me nourris. À vrai dire, je n'ai rien à envier aux hommes, je me moque de leur prétendue intelligence puisque j'ai moi-même été pendant longtemps le double de l'homme qu'on appelait qui bandit et qui est mort avant-hier. Moi, je m'étais la plupart du temps non loin du village. Je ne rejoignais cet homme que plus tard dans la nuit lorsque je devais exécuter les missions précises qu'il me confiait. Je suis conscient des représailles que j'aurais subies de sa part s'il m'avait entendu de son vivant me confesser comme maintenant avec une liberté de ton qu'il aurait, qu aurait, qu aurait prise pour de l'ingratitude parce que, mine de rien, il aura cru sa vie entière que je lui devais quelque chose, que je n'étais qu'un pauvre figurant, qu'il pouvait décider de mon destin comme bon lui semblait. Eh bien, sans vouloir tirer la couverture de mon côté, je peux aussi dire la même chose à son égard puisque sans moi, il n'aurait été qu'un misérable légume. Sa vie d'humain n'aurait même pas valu trois gouttelettes de pipi du vieux porc épique qui nous gouvernait à l'époque où je faisais encore partie du monde animal. Pete from Serpent Tail, who said, what happened here? Huh? Uh, that's not good. Huh? <laughs> so uh, it's a kind of question you need to, you need to know what's happened, really. Because sometimes people are going to say the human being or the animal and because of the fact that uh, uh, we used to respect 
animal in our country, like you here uh, in Europe, uh, you know, you have uh, people talking to animals, oh, sweetie, come here, and so giving. You have hospital from animals, cemetery from animals, so we have animals over there, and uh, this fable is about the respect of the nature. You have to respect the trees, you have to respect the animal. Sometimes if you are cutting the tree, maybe you are cutting the head of your own ancestor, huh? because sometimes your ancestor is uh, maybe a cow, a baobab, the baobab tree, a palm one tree, and so on and so on. So the book is dealing about uh, the shock of civilization, how to respect the nature, uh, any animals, vegetation and, uh, uh, and human being, how we can deal with uh, our relation between human being and animals. So I prefer to let people to decide who, uh, who is the responsible of uh, our life. The porcupine, the porcupine uh, um, has a, a sort of background culture in La Fontaine, mm -hmm. which he received from the elder of his group of mm. porcupines before he went to live with men. But it seems that the, the, the kind of moral fable here is very different to mm. a La Fontaine moral mm. where there is very clearly mm. um, an answer about what is right and wrong. Mm -mm -mm. Because uh, uh, I don't like to judge people, you know. I prefer to put the facts on the table and then people will decide what's going to happen there. In La Fontaine, you're going to read the fable. You know that at the end of the fable, you're going to say, yes, uh, uh, among our enemies, we have to fear the smaller one, and so on and so on. Then you know that, oh, uh, but I prefer the fact, and then to let people to express their own judgment, instead of uh, giving the moral, and so on and so on. That the way my mother was telling me the, the story, uh, and that uh, at the end of the story, she would ask me, so what do you think? Who is uh, responsible, the animal or the human being? So on Monday, I would say the animal, but on Tuesday, I'm going to say the human being, and so on and so on. So it depends maybe of my behavior or what I did uh, during the day. And one thing that struck me also is that the fables of, of La Fontaine, there's one thing they're not about, it's animals. Mm -hmm. They're all about humans, um, which is not the case entirely here, mm. because as you say, nature is very important. Mm. I think we've talked for a long mm. time. Um, does anybody have any questions for Alain? I hope so. And for you too, as a translator. Actually, I need to start with one translation question. And the first passage that you read, there's a moment at which uh, Broken Glass says, um, w when he's considering whether or not he'll write this version of events and characters for the owner of the bar, he says, Je ne suis pas son nègre. Mm -hmm. Which uh, I, was, I was quite puzzled by originally. I mean, in French, if you say, Je ne suis pas son nègre, mm -hmm. it means a nègre is somebody who ghosts. Ghostwriter. Ghost and uh, 
um, it seemed to be very problematic as how to, and we did actually translate it in the end as I'm not his ghost, which I wasn't very happy about because I didn't feel it was strong enough, and although it had the black-white mm -hmm. connotation, it didn't seem really to convey uh, the Actually, uh, they use negra for someone who is writing for another writer, mm -hmm. in this case, because uh, the word negre in writing was invite, invited because of Alexandre Dumas. Huh? He has a black blood. So people was writing uh, for him. And uh, the critics said that this negro, uh, at the time this negro, uh, and then the word negre become for us ghostwriter at the time. So I tried to play it with that. Yeah. Sometimes you can have your negro, but he's white. Like, uh, you, you are a black writer, but your negro is white uh, behind you. So it was a kind of uh, joke about that word, and uh, maybe a kind of homage to Alexandre Dumas. Um, it has been said uh, by, by several African authors that um, African literature can only be engaged mm -hmm. in international organizations. And I was wondering what you think about that, if you think it's true. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, and I see that in the prospectus of uh, the festival, they say that uh, I'm very engagé. So, uh, yes, I, I think that uh, being a writer, it does mean that you're going to try to explain the world. You're going to try to uh, give your opinion through the character and so on and so on. So, uh, for African, it's very complicated because we came from a tough uh, history, colonization, slavery, dictatorship in our country. So each time an African is writing, usually people uh, think or want him to write about Africa and the struggle in the continent. So you will find a lot of novels who are very engaged, criticizing Europe, uh, colonization, and so on and so on. But I try to do it in a kind of uh, a comedy. Huh? So you can laugh about something which is serious. And um, I can say in the sense that I'm very engaged or I'm very uh, criti I used to criticize uh, uh, African system, but not only criticizing Europe, but at the same time I can criticize my, myself or my own country, and uh, I need to be at the same time engaged and independent. So if I want to say something, I don't want to be like, yes, uh, everything is bad because of Europe. I need to ask myself, uh, where is my own responsibility? Because the main problem is how to recognize his own faults and try to uh, correct them as soon as possible. So I can say yes, uh, I'm in the 
I'm a writer who is very engaged, but at the same time I'm very, I'm very independent, and I don't think that even uh, French literature is not engaged. Is a literature writing about sex is a kind of engagement. You're gonna face feminist people. You're gonna discuss about uh, uh, a lot of critics. We're gonna say yes. Why? Well, Beck is talking about uh, sexual tourism in uh, this country, and so you're trying to explain the the world. Or uh, Marine Diaz writing about uh, his uh, little connection about uh, with Africa. It's a kind of engagement. So. Maybe everything is engagement, even a poem about love. You are trying to say to your lover that I'm very committed, you know, I'm trying to express you my thought and you don't understand that uh, the world is very bad without you. Huh? pas, Caroline. Yes. Yes, because um, I used to write because I'm regretting something, because I'm living far from my country. I, I wrote a lot because uh, I was living in France and uh, I felt at that time like uh, uh, my country was disappearing and the only way to keep uh, the drawing of my country is to write something so that I can go back in my mind, in my, in my country. And uh, it's the same thing, if I'm living in the country, it's very difficult for me to write about that country. Now I'm living in the United States of America. Even if people are saying, when are you going to write uh, the novel we are expecting uh, to you about America? I said, no, because I'm living in America. I need like to uh, go far from America. Then I'm going to write something about America. So writing about something I'm uh, looking at every day, it's not that easy because uh, you will face the reality. I need to forget the reality and to reinvent that reality in my book. So I need to regret America. For the time being, I have no reason to regret America. Every day I'm over there watching people, uh, uh, sunglasses, uh, used cars, and uh, Los Angeles Lakers, and so on. So that's uh, not the way to write about that. Maybe when I'm going to turn maybe 65, going back to the Congo, and then I'm going to remember Santa Monica, Wilshire Boulevard, uh, Hollywood and something like that, and African people living over there, facing African-American, what kind of problem they have, what kind of situation in uh, uh, California were during the earthquake, and so on and so on. So. I wrote a little piece about America in my book, in my book called Letter to Jimmy, Letter to Jimmy, about James Baldwin, African-American writer. It was like uh, 10 pages about my meeting with uh, Anne Clochard. Wonder... Uh, uh, Dana Knight? 
Down and out. Down and out, is it? Sure Crochet, yes. My encounter about that uh, guy, but it was about book. I met that guy who was reading The Invisible Man uh, from uh, Ralph Ellis. So it was like uh, a shock for me. So I wrote something uh, about that and I was explaining that maybe in the United States of America, the white people uh, are becoming invisible at the time. So I tried to express, yes, because they can see the black passing on the street, but since America is full of white people, they don't see any more white people. So the white people are becoming invisible in the United States of America. And that may be the way I can write a novel over there about a poor white man living in the middle of black people. Let's wait and see. <laughs> your, your English is, is so good. Um, oh, do you ever yeah, imagine no. writing in English? No. It's difficult. Not even when you're 65 and everything. It's if the, it, I'm not Nabokov. He's very friant, you know. He wrote Lolita because um, I didn't learn English at school. So try, I'm trying to learn on the street in Michigan, discussing with, and I used to teach in France when I'm in the United States of America. So that uh, not that easy. I cannot write a novel in English mm. because uh, all my background in literature is in France. Even uh, English writers, I write them in France. It's now only I'm trying to read in English book written in English. So I need like to spend at least uh, 20 or 25 years of immersion in English in order to dare to uh, write that I cannot write in English when I know that you have uh, James Joyce, uh, you have uh, Beckett, or you wrote in France, you have uh, a lot of uh, Zadi Smith, Salman Resti, uh, Anif Qureshi. I oh, know they're gonna laugh at me. That's all. <laughs> For the time being, let me write in France, and then you're gonna have a great job, you know, translating us. <laughs> Part of your program at UCLA uh, in the modern languages department, you do creative writing in France. Yes. It seems mm. to me almost unimaginable that such a thing should exist in a modern language that, department. That, uh, yes. Mm. It's uh, the first class in creative writing in France in the United States of America. So they used to see that, like, uh, do you think that you're going to have students? Yes, we had. And I had like 15 of them, whereas in some creative writing in English there was at five. So <laughs> that means that when people want to be writers, they don't care about language. The main thing is the inspiration, how you see the world. Mm. Are there students whose first language is French or English? No, they are American, Asian American, Indian American, African American. Sometimes we. I used to find uh, a French guy lost in the middle of American people. So, oh, voila, invisible, yes, <laughs> the middle. But mainly, like 99% uh, are American, and we, we used to send them to France, like one year in Aix-en-Provence, uh, learning with uh, French people. And when they are back, very uh, uh, 
engaged in France, so we read novels in France, uh, write in France, discuss in France, watch movies in France. That's very uh, excited. Mm. I've got yeah. two questions. One connected to the question on translation. Um, what would your mother's word for Negri be um, in her own? You said she was sans alphabet in her language. Um, and the second question is that you said um, Europeans had a, or that it could be said that Europeans had a monopoly on culture and what thought they did. And so I wondered, um, in terms of your travels, Ah, I think uh, the first question was about my mother, mm -hmm. language. No? Yes. What yes. word would she use to translate "negre" into the language that she spoke? Oh, okay. Yes, but the the word "negro" in all languages are always is always very mm, bad because in Lingala is Ndombe. Ndombe reminds us uh, something which is bad, the colonization, the slavery and so on and so on. So we use another word to which can use like black. So instead of saying Ndombe, we used to say uh, Moindo, which is the black color and uh, without kind of uh, uh, prejudice or something like that. So, uh, as for my mother or in our country, the main problem was the white color because the devil in our, uh, in, in our country, the devil is white. That's the problem. So here, when I come here, the devil in the Bible is black with uh, a tail behind and trying to frighten people. But in Africa, mainly in black Africa, the devil is white. So when we were like kids, we said, mind yourself, because if you go over there, you're going to meet the white people. So we are like frightened. That's why if you go to some villages in Africa, if they see a white, they're going to escape. It's not just because they are escaping the slavery, but because they think that I met the devil. He is coming over there. So in our language, negre, uh, or in French, it's, uh, it's not easy to express it in, in Lingala. And uh, we don't express it because in our language, we didn't include the Western reality. It's a language about our own landscape, our own uh, universe, in that sense. There's a, mm. a, one of the titles which is sewn into the text of Broken Glasses, um, the title of a novel by your friend, Daniel Laferrière, mm -hmm. Haitian, who wrote a book called Comment faire l'amour avec un nègre sans se fatiguer, yes. which we translated as how to, which was translated into English as how to make love with a Negro, no, how to make love to a Negro mm -hmm. without getting tired, which seemed to be an interesting change of mm -hmm. preposition. And um, what was the second half? Oh, the, the pilgrimage. Yes, I think that we are like uh, 13 writers um, to go in 13 countries in order to write non-fiction. So I was committed to go to Nigeria, Lagos. I'm supposed to write uh, about Lagos. I've never been over there. I overheard that it's sometimes very dangerous. So 
I'll go to face the situation. Maybe I'm going to write about uh, how a city uh, uh, can fight any writer. Right? So I don't know what I'm going to do over there. But I'm going to meet people um, during the day and during the night. I'm going to feel the beat uh, from Fela, uh, nice music. Uh, and I'm a little bit disappointed because when I'm going to get there, Nigeria won't be in the Mondial Cup because they are about to go home, you know. At least maybe I'm going to meet the players because they will be back from uh, South Africa so they can help me to write that book. So uh, it's a nice project uh, led by uh, Chinua Achebe who wrote uh, Things Fall Apart. Uh, and uh, I'm very delighted to go over there. They don't speak French, they speak only English and Pidgin. Plus, um, I did translate a writer from Nigeria, born, born in the United States. His name is Izondima Iweila. He wrote Beasts of No Nations. So I translated his book from uh, English into French in 2008 at uh, Edition de l'Olivier, which is a, a small and good publisher belonging to Edition du Seuil, my, pre my previous publisher. So I'm going to see now uh, and listen to the pigeon and understand another part of Africa. It's a nice program. Thank you for joining us for this London Review Bookshop event. For more, visit our website at www.londonreviewbookshop.co.uk or search for the London Review Bookshop on iTunes. <laughs>